Welcome to the Marriage Today podcast. I'm Karen, and this is Jimmy, my husband. Well, we've got a great program for you today, and we're talking about total freedom, how to experience total freedom in your life. I have a really special teaching coming up here in just a few minutes. We're going to begin with some questions that we get from you guys, our viewers. We love your questions. Please write in your questions anytime you have one, because we love answering them. So, Karen, let me begin this. Um, and it says, Karen, it seems my husband has been lying to me about some small situations. It makes me wonder what else he may be dishonest about. What do you think about that? I think that's a major red flag. <laughs> um, you know, I've always said this from day one when I first met you. I can handle anything. Tell me you're sinning. Just tell me the sin. I don't care. But don't lie to me. Yeah. I mean, it's like a huge thing. Yeah. And um, I just, I, I just think this is serious enough where if he's doing lying about little things, he's probably doing lying about big things and he, or he will anyway. What should she do about it? I think she has to get counseling for sure. Um, I know of a situation where the girl was dating a guy she had just met and he was blatantly lying. And when she, he confronted her, she confronted him on it. He was like, well, and it's like, she knew, you know, you can't, you can't stay in a relationship where there's lying and dishonesty. You just can't. And so I would say get counseling immediately. Yeah, get counseling immediately. And she says, my husband's in line, been lying to me about some small situations. And the question there is, why would he need to lie? Mm-hmm. Well, one is he's a fraud mm-hmm. and he's trying to hide some stuff. Could it be that maybe um, she shames him or judges him when he does tell the truth? And he is hiding that from her. I'm not, I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying yeah. there's a reason why he's lying. And the then counseling. He's a liar. <laughs> well, but the counseling is to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I agree. Okay? Is why is why does he feel the need to lie mm-hmm. about these things? I totally agree with you. If he's lying about little stuff, there's probably a lot of other stuff there too. Okay. What can you do to make God real to your children on a daily basis? I want them to know that despite our imperfections, God is a perfect father to them. Yeah. Well, first of all, is your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when our kids were growing up, uh, you and I woke up every morning, had our quiet times. We would go walking many mornings and pray. Um, we didn't do daily devotions with our kids as in trying to gather them together and teach them because they're, you know, <laughs> that, that didn't work. But every moment was a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. In other words, we just talked about God, not really, not in legalistically, religiously. He was just a part of our family. I mean, our kids would ask a question or about their friends, about school, mm-hmm. about this or that. And we just talked about God. Mm-hmm. At night, we would put them to bed uh, and we would pray with them, talk mm-hmm. to them about God. It was just a part of our conversation. And also church was a part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to church faithfully and our children, we took them to church. So God was just a, a normal part of our lives. We didn't cram God down our children's throats. Mm-mm. We didn't try to act like we were perfect. Uh, and we wanted to have a loving, uh, fun, relational home, not legalistic. Now, I've seen parents who tried to raise little cookie cutter Jesus juniors, <laughs> and they ended up, and those, those, ki- those kids will either end up as the meanest Christians on earth, <laughs> or they'll rebel completely. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be relational with your kids. You want to be fun with your kids. You want to have biblical parameters in your home, but you want to make Jesus someone that your kids want to know. And and that's what, Karen, when we were raising our children, we wanted our children to be like us mm-hmm. when they grew up. Yeah, when I think to experience, you know, the longer time goes on and they see through experience the things that God does, you know, how he shows up in circumstances right. or how 
we deal with personal hurts and things. You know, are we forgiving? Are we, yeah. you know, are we, do we hold grudges? I mean, like you said, modeling the kind of Christian modeling. that, you know, because I want to stay convicted before the Holy Spirit more than anything. So I want the Holy Spirit to convict me when I'm doing something wrong. And I think that, you know, your kids see that vulnerability, but with you, it makes them trust that, you know, okay, maybe this, you know, I just think that you're exactly right. They have to see it modeled. Well, if you don't want your children to be like you, you don't understand parenting because it's more caught than taught. And when we were raising our kids, we were not perfect parents, but we wanted our children to be just like us. Mm -hmm. We wanted them to have a relationship with Jesus like us. We wanted them to have a marriage like us. We wanted them to have friends like us in every category, and they do. Our kids are both in their 40s. They're married. They have children, and they they have a marriage like ours. They love Jesus. They're serving Jesus and they're raising their children with the same values that we raised them with, and it's a blessing. And they're better parents than we were, mm-hmm, okay? and they, they had that advantage. <laughs> now we're gonna, go on, we're gonna go into a teaching here. Now this, this is a teaching that goes right with the questions we've been answering. It's on iniquities and inner vows. Now this is a teaching that totally changed our lives, totally changed our lives. We heard this teaching probably when we were in our mid-20s or something like that. And so iniquities and inner vows, talking about being free from our past, and free to go forward into the future, getting rid of generational iniquities and bondages and curses. So we're gonna go to this. If you haven't subscribed to the Marriage Day channel, do it on the Apple Podcast Network or Spotify. Leave us a comment. We always love to read your comments. We're gonna go right now to freedom from your past. You cannot get closer to God than your concept of Him will allow. If you believe that God doesn't love you, you're not gonna move toward God. If you believe that God is against you, or he's trying to punish you, or that he doesn't care, he's just very distant and uncaring, you're not gonna run toward a God that you believe is austere, is mean, is angry, whatever. And so we have a God in heaven who is a loving father. He is the perfect father. He's a wonderful God but we naturally gather our concept of God from our parents, and here's why. This is Genesis chapter one, and this is how God created us. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So listen, God put his image, we look like God. We're God-like. Okay, so, God made us in his image, then commanded us to have children. The number one role of parents is to bear the image of God to their children properly. Parents are the first God their children know. Parents aren't God, but to children, we're their protector, we're their provider, we're their nurturer. Everything that God is to us, we are to our children. So children base their concept of God off of parents. That's what we naturally do. So everything your parents did right, you naturally believe about God. And everything your parents did wrong, you naturally believe about God. And listen to me, there was a book written about atheists. I think the author is named Paul Vitz. Every famous atheist hated their father. And the reason that they didn't want God to exist is because they wished their fathers hadn't existed. They hated their fathers. So the hatred they had toward their fathers naturally skewed their concept of God and what they believed about him. 
So everything your parents did, right or wrong, you believe about God. So here's the issue. Were your parents gracious or were they legalistic? Because whatever they were, you think about God. Were your parents caring or distant? Were your parents faithful or undependable? Were your parents generous or selfish? I had a friend in high school, a girlfriend, not a romantic girlfriend, but a girlfriend, and her father charged her rent when she was in 10th grade and let her know on a regular basis that she was a burden to the family and she should move out. And so it's very hard to have that kind of a father and then turn around and think God's generous. Were your parents affectionate or unaffectionate, truthful or dishonest, proud or humble, moral or corrupt, and so on and so forth? And the point being, everything that your parents did right, it's easy for you to believe that about God. Whatever your parents did wrong, it's difficult for you to believe that about God. So when I got saved, when I grew up, my father, and both, both of your parents are important, but we call our earthly father, father, and we call our heavenly father, father. So there's a direct connection between our father and our concept of God. Well, my father had a horrible uh, life growing up. He lived in abject poverty. He slept outside every night. Uh, he didn't have shoes uh, as a child. Um, he just, they were dirt poor. My, my grandfather was a sharecropper and my father was, lived in poverty and it scarred my father. And so my father was a very hard worker. He was a good man, but he was completely distant. He never came to a ball game of mine and I played all sports. He never came to a ball game or a sporting event. He never touched me. From the time I was three years old to the time I was 38 years old, my father never physically touched me unless he was spanking me. And when I was three years old, he touched me, he was mad at me. Uh, at 38 years old, at my grandmother's funeral, he hugged me. That was the first time we touched. And so he wouldn't talk. My father just didn't talk. He would come home, he was tired. And I would say, Daddy, what's two plus two? I don't know. And just completely detached. So when I got saved, my concept of God was, I don't know that he knows me. I know that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, and I'm in the world, so God loves me. God loves me because I'm in the world. I don't think he knows my address. I don't think that there's any personal care that he has for me. And my father was angry. In our home, it was a performance-motivated home. In my home, if you did something right, you didn't, there were no brownie points in my family. If you did something right, you got no, no that boys If you did something wrong, you got clobbered. So there was just kind of an atmosphere of anger and performance. So my concept of God is he's mad at me. He's, he's frustrated with me. I don't know that he knows me and he's distant and all that. But I loved him. I mean, I, I believed in him and, and I received Christ as my savior. And, and honestly, what I thought was, I think I love God more than he loves me. That was my concept of God. Today, I know God intimately. My father, God, I have an intimate personal relationship with my Father God. Now let me tell you how it happened. This is Jesus. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not the life, life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds, feeds them. Did you know that? He feeds the birds. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow 
is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So Jesus is trying to encourage us here, let God be your Father. Let, let him take care of you, just the way he takes care of the, the grass of the field and the birds. He wants to be your daddy. And the word here is Abba. It means daddy. He wants to be your father. So I struggled. I struggled with my concept of God, even as a pastor. I was 40 years old when I came to know God as my daddy. Okay. And I was in my office one day, and, um, and I just struggled. And I knew, I knew what the word said about God, but I struggled. I, I, struggled with, I struggled with believing that there was anyone that cared for me. Because growing up, I didn't have anybody that cared for me. My, my mother and father worked all the time. They were very detached. I have two older brothers, Damien and Lucifer. They beat me up every day. And I mean, I, I dreamed of having a sister that was sweet, just to have one sweet person in our family, which we did not. And so I never had a person that cared for me. And the concept that there is a God in heaven who thinks about me all the time and who wants to take care of me. That concept was so difficult because of my past. And I was sitting in my office one day and I was praying and here's what the Lord said to me that changed my life. Treat me like I'm the perfect father until you can prove me wrong. And I thought, well, you know, I'm gonna do that. I'm just going to start acting like I have the perfect father and I'm just going to trust you and I'm just going to pray like you love me and like you're listening and I'm just going to do that until I can prove you wrong. I didn't prove him wrong. He's the perfect father. I have the perfect father. He is the most loving, precious, kind, present, doting, caring, generous God and he's your daddy. He's your daddy. Your concept, if, if you don't believe that, if you're struggling, and I struggle, if you're struggling with your concept of God because of your father or because of your parents or something like that, I'm saying you can't get closer to God than your concept of him will allow, and you can't get free till you get to God. If you came to me for help, I can't help you unless I can get you to God. And if you believe that God's against you and you, you don't believe that God's for you, I can't get you there. Uh, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so what this means is, we as parents, our behavior is affecting our great-grandchildren. And so an iniquity means a bent. It means a tendency toward a sin because of the sins of our parents. Now, when you grow up and you're around something all the time, you just have a tendency toward that. And so let me give you an example of some uh, uh, iniquities. Pride, abuse, and you would think, every kind of abuse, verbal, physical, you would think that a person who's been abused would be the least person who would abuse. They're actually most common abuse comes from someone who was abused because it's an iniquity. Substance abuse, divorce, racism, sexism, prejudice, 
gossip, immorality, dishonesty, rebellion, stubbornness, legalism, and pride. And so all of us can sin without our parents training us, but iniquities are generationally entrenched sin. It means there are families that they all act the same way in a negative way. It's because they're bent toward that. And so I came out of my family with iniquities. Karen came out of her family with iniquities. Let me give you an example of some of our iniquities. Um, in my family, growing up, we had no idea how to deal with anger. So, we, so in our family, if you were mad, you didn't make eye contact. You, you, you didn't speak. You just got silent and didn't make eye contact. So you knew that someone was angry. In my family, growing up, you knew someone was angry because they wouldn't look at you. And then when they looked at you, you knew they were okay again. Okay. It was just crazy. And so Karen, I would go over to Karen's house and her family was just emotive. When, when they got angry, they would talk, they would, you know, they would you know, cry, they would do whatever. I thought they were crazy. I thought, these people are crazy. Well, they were a lot healthier than my family. And so, but the point being, I had an iniquity toward punishing silence, which was control. It's control. I'm gonna control you because when you do something that makes me unhappy, I'm not gonna interact with you. Rebellion, substance abuse. Divorce, prejudice, racism, runs in families. These are iniquities. These are a tendency toward a sin. Now listen, I want you to listen to me real carefully. Listen to what I'm saying. Karen and I, when we were in our 20s and had young children, here's what we said. Karen and Jimmy are the end of all iniquities on the Evans side and the Smith side. All iniquities stop right here. And we're the beginning of righteousness to a thousand generations. And all the nonsense that has been passed down to us for generations stops right here by the blood of Jesus, and we will not pass it on to our children and grandchildren. Somebody say amen. An iniquity means I didn't grow up right. I didn't grow up righteous. I was exposed to something that was wrong, and it bit me. It bit me in that direction. Now I have that tendency. Well, what do you do about iniquities? The first thing is you confess it. If you were raised under verbal abuse or negativity or cynicism or perfectionism or performance motivation and now you do it. That's not your parents' sin, that's your sin. So we don't blame our parents. We forgive our parents. You have to forgive your parents to give them grace. So I say, I'm a, I was a chauvinist when Karen and I got married. Chauvinism was one of the generational sins in my family. We believed that men were better than women. We believed that it was all about men. That, that's what I thought when I got married. And so I had to repent of chauvinism. I had to repent of control. I had to repent of all of those things. You have to begin by taking responsibility for your own behavior. Forgive your parents and anyone else that was involved. You have to forgive them. You can't be free when you're holding a grudge. So you bless your family and you go on. You submit that area to Jesus. You come to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I make you the Lord of this area, and I don't know how to treat women. I don't know how to deal with my anger. I, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. Holy Spirit, I need you to teach me. I submit this area to the Lord, and I pray that you'll teach me how to be righteous in this area and to live the way that I should, because I don't want to do this to my children. An inner vow is a self-directed promise made in response to pain or difficulty. We don't, we don't make inner vows because we're evil. We make inner vows because we're hurting. And it comforts us. It's inner vows like, I'll never be poor again. No one will ever hurt me again. I'm never gonna be vulnerable again. When I get older, I'm not gonna spank my kids, go to church, make my kids work, all these things. 
we're, we're going through difficulty when we're growing up, and some inter, intervals happen as an adult, but we, we want to comfort ourselves, and I'm, I'm hurting, and this is unpleasant, and I'm just gonna comfort myself to let me know I'm not coming back here. I'm not, I'm not gonna be poor like this again. I'm not, no woman's ever gonna treat me like this again. No man's ever gonna treat me like this again. I'm never gonna be put in this situation again. And so I comfort myself. Well, you say, well, okay, well, that's kind of common, Jimmy. What's the problem? Well, it's a sin, Matthew 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor say you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. Did you, so a, a pro, an inner vow is evil. And you say, well, why is an inner vow evil? Because in any area of your life where you have an inner vow, Jesus is not the Lord of that area. If you say to yourself, I'll never be poor again, Jesus isn't the Lord of your finances. If you've been through a bad marriage or a bad relationship, you say, no one's ever gonna hurt me again, Jesus is not the Lord of your relationships. You, you're your own God. You're, you're the one who's directing that area of your life. And so Jesus is saying, you don't swear. You perform your oaths to the Lord. And what that means is, if I'm gonna make a promise, I need to make it to God, not to myself. I, I need to make, and so, and that, that ends up being good. They also, inner vows cause us to be unteachable, unapproachable, and a little crazy, a little crazy. In any area of your life where you have an inner vow, no one can talk to you, no one can appeal to you, and you're crazy. You're an intelligent, wonderful person, but in that area, you're crazy as a bed bug. So when I was growing up, um, we were poor, and uh, I had two shirts and one pair, one pair of pants. That was my entire wardrobe. And I was like in junior high school, and so I would open my closet every day, and I, I knew what pants I was gonna wear. I had two shirts. And it was humiliating. I mean, I had friends that had wonderful wardrobes, you know, and stuff. And it was just humiliating. And I remember standing in front of my closet one day, and I said, when I get money someday, I'm going to have clothes. So fast forward 20 years, and Karen and I are having an argument. And she said, you have too many clothes, Jimmy. And I said, no, Karen, our closets are too small. <laughs> That's the problem. And she, she, said, she said to me one day, she said, you're a clothes horse. You really are. You, you have a problem with clothes. Now... So, I just have to admit that walking into a clothing store was like visiting Oz. <laughs> it was special. And one day I was in a clothing store and I thought, you know, I think I've got a problem. I really do think, I, I don't need clothes, I'm just buying them. So, I had an inner vow. And Jesus wasn't the Lord of that area. That's a silly one. But when Karen talked to me about it, I batted it back because I was a little crazy in that area. I, I counseled a man whose wife had never been in his house. This was crazy. And a friend of mine said, would you talk to my friend? He's having marriage problems. And I said, sure. And this guy was very successful, you know, a sharp guy. And so we started talking and I said, well, I'd like to talk to your wife. Where is she? He said, well, she's in her apartment. And I said, uh, oh, y'all are separated. He said, no, we're not separate. I said, well, then why is she in an apartment? He said, well, that's where she lives. I said, why didn't she live here in the house? He said, this is my house. I said, so you're separated? He said, no, I just don't want her over here. And now I knew, I knew there was something. 
being the great counselor that I am, I knew there's something here. I said, what's your problem with women? He said, my mother emasculated my father every day of my life. And I swore to myself as a child, no woman would ever do that to me. I said, you are your mother. He didn't like me. And he, he, I mean, when I said that, he just said his jaw. I said, you're just a man, you're just your mother in a man suit. And he looked at me. I said, exactly the way that your mother did to your father, you do to your wife. You demean her and you treat her like she's not an equal human being. And I said, and you're wrong. Well, he didn't like it. But the point is, he was crazy as a bed bug. Intelligent, intelligent, successful, a Christian, I guess. Crazy as a bed bug in that area. So they also, we always go to an extreme. When you make it, see, an iniquity means I'm gonna follow in the footsteps of my family. An inner vow means I'm going to the opposite extreme. They didn't drink, I'm gonna be an alcoholic. They spanked me too hard, so I'm gonna be permissive. They did this, I'm gonna, so it's like a drunk man trying to get on a horse, falling into ditches on both sides of the horse. And your family, your father was in this ditch, now you're in this ditch. What needs to happen is you need to break that inner vow. Somebody needs to get on that horse and ride into the future and get out of the ditch. But what happens to us is generationally, we go from here to here, either following or going to the opposite extreme. And in the case of an inner vow, the way you break it is you have to renounce it and say to God, I did not have the right to say that. I didn't say it because I was evil. I said it because I was hurting, but I became God in that area of my life. I renounce it. Jesus, I submit this area of my life to you. I've been hurt in marriage. I've been hurt in relationships. I have been devastated by rejection. I have been de devastated by failure and poverty. And rather than bringing it to you, I made an inner vow. Now I bring it to you. I renounce the vow. I bring it to you. I forgive anyone who hurt me. Ex-husband, ex-wife, step-parent, parent, sibling, business partner, pastor, I forgive anyone who hurt me and I break the spiritual power of that vow in my life. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage and I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, Hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.